Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our Senior Analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And I have to say, John, it's a good thing that there's no payout cap for Iowa sportsbooks. February handle and revenue numbers are in for the Hawkeye State, and 12 of 18 sportsbooks lost money last month, uh, including one lakeside hotel and casino not too far away from Kansas City, Missouri, which had a negative 65.49% hold last month. Uh, Obviously, these numbers have a lot to do with the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. So, John, I ask you... Which team winning a Super Bowl would have the most devastating effect on the sports books in that region? Your options are limited, of course, to teams in or near legal sports betting states. Yeah, you know, I almost want to say the Buffalo Bills because, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can't bet online in New York or anywhere in a state within 100 miles of midtown Manhattan. Um, but there is a life up there and there's a tribal casino in Buffalo. I know and there's a couple others in the area. Niagara Falls has one and you can bet on the bills there. So uh, that would be something. But the team that would really crush the books is another New York team, the Jets <laughs> and all those books located in New Jersey. You know, I barely remember the Jets first and only Super Bowl appearance 51 years ago. And if they ever make it again, it's going to be bedlam you know i also remember the giants first super bowl in 1987 um let's just say i was aware of the bookmaker lines in new york and new jersey and how the line <laughs> kept moving and moving and moving there was no stopping it you know and they by the way the giants covered anyway they covered any and all lines right uh, with a second half rally but you know i had a girlfriend at the time her dad was a giant season ticket holder um he had he had gotten tickets from his pal spider lockhart that's a good name to google for people but um uh, and he flew 3,000 miles to pasadena alone because he couldn't miss the experience of the giants being in a Super Bowl. And uh, I happened to be over the house the next day when he got home and uh, he still had confetti in his hair. So that gives you an idea. Um, <laughs> and that was not even 25 years since he had seen his Giants win an NFL title back when he was a young father. So can you imagine what Jets fans will do if they get there and especially if they win it all? Right. Yeah. You know, my, my first thought here was the Jets. Um, but I also wondered if Jets fans might be the type 
to bet against their team if it reached the Super Bowl because of the desperate need for an emotional hedge. Yeah, um, but still, I think you're right. Uh, those those New Jersey books would uh, w- would get crushed. The, the other one to consider is the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, we saw a near mm. disaster scenario for the books with the Vegas Golden Knights in their first season. Um, but the other one I'm thinking of that might be really disastrous for the books would be the Bears, um, because you know <laughs> th- those are some hardcore fans, uh, right. and the Illinois books will see extreme one way action. I think if the Bears are in the Super Bowl, luckily for the sports books there. Mitch Trubisky is still listed as their starting quarterback. So. <laughs> probably say I think of the Cleveland Browns, obviously too, but Ohio mm-hmm. doesn't have it. Right. Um, so the, uh, if they're going to win a Super Bowl, Ohio would be best to have them do it before they get the uh, <laughs> legal sports betting in. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right. Well, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 82 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 81 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud and on iTunes and the Apple Podcast app. And we've added a new home. You can now subscribe and listen on Spotify as well. We're everywhere, John. We're spreading, uh, which which sounds scary nowadays. But in our case, it's a good thing. Um, but that, that lighthearted little reference aside, we should probably take a moment to address the elephant in the room, the situation with COVID-19 or coronavirus and its impact on sports and sports betting. As we record this podcast on Thursday morning, so much is up in the air. Uh, but the sensible thing to do is cover news stories as if casinos and sports books will remain open, legislatures will continue meeting, and so forth. Um, there's sort of a bit of a looming, yeah, but what if, hanging over everything right now. Uh, but we'll do our best to cover the gambling industry news based on circumstances as they currently stand. Uh, yeah, I mean, my feeling just is the the point at which you click to listen, which you're doing now if you're hearing us, um, that's the point at which you want to hear pretty much what you hear every week. And you know, and if you have other issues going on that are far more important, then you're not clicking at all, and we respect that too. So, but coming up a little later on the show, we're going to be joined by Brianne Dura Shawal. Um, she's the legislative director for the National Council on Problem Gambling. March is National Problem Gambling Awareness Month, and we're looking forward to asking Brianne about how various states are dealing with problem gambling. Uh, you know, especially with legal gambling expanding at such a rapid pace. But first, it's been yet another busy news week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. When last we podcasted, 14 states had taken legal sports bets. As of today, that number is up to 16, as Illinois and Michigan are now part of the in-crowd, and Montana is days away from making it 17. Uh, Illinois was first, with Bet Rivers Sportsbook at Rivers Casino in Des Plaines, just outside Chicago, taking its first bet on Monday. Ed Olchick of the Blackhawks uh, and assorted other NHL teams made the first wager, a $100 White Sox futures bet. Additional Illinois sportsbooks are expected to be open before the scheduled start of March Madness next week, but mobile betting is not available yet, which is unfortunate because, of course, online everything is preferable to in-person anything, given the coronavirus situation. Uh, But for now, retail betting only in Illinois. And the same is true in Michigan, where the MGM Grand Detroit took the state's first legal bet on Wednesday. Greektown Casino took its first bet later in the day Wednesday, and Motor City Casino was set to follow Thursday, with the big news being that Motor City has partnered with FanDuel. Uh, But online and mobile betting isn't expected to launch until 2021, so the numbers in Michigan, like in Illinois, figure to be modest for a while. Uh, Barry Sanders, by the way, was scheduled to be on hand for that Motor City launch. Uh, And lastly, in Montana, video betting terminals were installed on Tuesday and Wednesday around the state, 
And once employees have been fully trained, those kiosks will begin taking bets in a state in which the lottery has a monopoly on the activity. A smartphone app is expected to follow soon. Uh, but back to the two states that are, at this moment, open for business. John, as a person invested professionally in the proliferation of legal sports betting, what do Illinois and Michigan launching this week mean to you? Oh, yeah, it means the hands of Ohio, Wisconsin, Kentucky, and Missouri are absolutely forced. You know, just like the casino gold rush of the 1990s, residents of all those states now are going to be legally betting elsewhere uh, immediately. And that loss of tax revenue is ultimately going to prove irresistible. You know, in some cases, you're talking about residents who are not on right on the border. They're going to be spending a weekend out of state with all the secondary taxes there, you know, also lost to boot. So um, that's I think of that line of, you know, it's over. It's been always been over. Yeah, it's over for those guys, too. Um, you know, in the Midwest and the Mid-South, that's that's where it is for sure. But I was thinking, you know, what state in the continental U.S. doesn't now border a sports betting state? I think I've got Florida barely with the panhandle not quite getting to Mississippi. Okay. Um, South Carolina. And I think that's it. But uh, I want geography buffs out there to correct me <laughs> at, at Bergen Brennan on Twitter. So I probably missed one. Uh, I guess, do, does Hawaii count or Alaska? No, continental U.S. Oh, continental, you said. Okay, then uh, then yeah, you might you might have it right. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, where my mind went with Illinois and Michigan is just how these are potentially major states, each boasting a major city, Chicago and Detroit. So these are, these are significant states in elevating the prominence of legal sports betting. You know, Montana, relatively insignificant in the big picture, especially if it's a monopoly and the, the FanDuel's and DraftKings's and William Hill's and so forth won't be available to customers there. But Illinois and Michigan, because they will eventually have mobile, are, I'd say, the two most significant additions to the map since Pennsylvania. Uh, and, you know, they reach another part of the country, an important region in terms of sports fandom, certainly. Um, I was at a conference a couple of months ago in Philly where Matt Cullen from Parks was talking about how soon he expects Pennsylvania to be number one in the country for sports betting handle. But he noted that if it happened, it could be a temporary title because Illinois would likely overtake Pennsylvania. Um, so in, in that regard, uh, this, this is huge. Uh, I know there's a lot going on in the world that this week will be remembered for, but uh, it will also go down as a very big week in the American sports betting industry. Yeah, hopefully in a couple of months, we're going to be thinking more about this than that. <laughs> I hope so. Um, all right. Our, our first story was about two states in the same region taking their first legal bets. Our second story is about two neighboring states in a different region getting closer to legalizing sports betting. The main focus is on Virginia, which forced industry journalists to work over the weekend by passing legislation on Sunday, sending mm -hmm. HB 896 and SB 384 to Governor Ralph Northam for his signature. If signed, Virginia would legalize statewide mobile at a 15% tax rate for all uh, sports betting, require the use of official league data, prohibit betting on in-state college games and on college player props, uh, and that has a number of online sports books still to be determined. It could be as few as four uh, or as many as 12. Meanwhile, neighboring Maryland moved a mobile betting bill through the state Senate on Wednesday, and that bill now goes to the House. And should it pass there, it would land on the November ballot, similar to what happened in Colorado last year. The bill has a 20 percent tax rate. An interesting subtopic here is that both states appear to be using legal sports betting to woo the Washington Redskins to build a new stadium in their state. I guess they're assuming by 2027, when the FedEx field lease expires, 
the Redskins have a chance at being a team you'd actually want in your state. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, John. Yeah. Uh, couldn't resist. Yeah. Uh, Makes sense. <laughs> so, John, uh, bust out your crystal ball. How close are we to legal sports betting in Virginia and or Maryland? And any guess where the Redskins end up? Boy, some of pro sports' worst owners, they make the most money, don't they? I mean, <laughs> it's so weird. They, they're so good at, at getting richer and richer and richer, and their team is terrible. So, uh, you know, Daniel Snyder, again, has these two suitors, plus Washington, D.C., potential sites as he cruises the region yet again. We're possibly free, new home, or mostly free. Um, <laughs> no one seems to know what the Virginia governor will do on this, which is a little weird. But um, and Maryland, as you mentioned, has far more hurdles ahead of it than a signature. So, mm-hmm. um Snyder's faith seems to be that he gets richer and richer while his franchise pays the price on the field. <laughs> but uh, yes, Virginia, I think you get an NFL team. Okay, interesting. Uh, and uh, looking at Maryland, I noticed the Senate passed the bill by a 47 to zero vote. So that's encouraging. Um, but you know, we we know the timeline there that the absolute earliest anything could get fully passed is is November. So nothing too immediate there. Virginia is obviously the one with the nearer term potential. Uh, I highly recommend Jill Dorson's weekend coverage on sportshandle.com. She did a great job recalling how they pushed right up against the wire timing wise before getting these bills through uh, and did so with a lot of compromise. The best news for me is that this means my friend who lives in Northern Virginia will no longer send me text messages every few weeks asking me to place a bet for him. Um, But uh, which you refuse. Of of course, obviously, naturally. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Well, we we can talk more about that off air. Uh, But uh, in all seriousness, um, some mixed feelings about the bill, the the in-state college betting will be an issue in Virginia and will drive some business offshore to other states. But it's better than nothing, certainly. Uh, And, uh, you know, maybe the rules can be tweaked down the road on that. All right. For our third and final story of the week, I'll leave the heavy lifting to John since he reported on this on a few of our websites. Uh, But a coalition of 16 states is now backing the New Hampshire lottery's effort to wipe out the late 2018, early 2019 Department of Justice Wire Act opinion, which sought to restrict interstate online gaming but might have picked a fight with the wrong opponent by also potentially limiting the state lotteries. New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and others joined together in the amicus brief posted Friday, as we're going to find out how many states it takes to beat one Sheldon Adelson. Uh, John, I'll hand it to you to expand on the key details, and do you have any sense of whether this battle still might head all the way to the Supreme Court? Well, uh, for uh, reasons unbeknownst to me in my uh, career, but uh, I'm kind of a multi-year legal saga specialist, you know, <laughs> that the Jason Williams manslaughter trial, uh, the New Jersey sports betting case, uh, Phil Ivey versus Regatta alone, you know, uh, that takes uh, uh, combined about a total of more than like 20 years of my career. Um, but what distinguished all those cases is that the legal questions were so complex that I would find myself sort of uncertain how to think, and I'd get convinced back and forth as defendant and plaintiff briefs would arrive months apart. I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. And then I'd see the next one, I'd say, well, no, they have a good point. Maybe that's the way it should go. And I never could kind of get to a conclusion, uh, not that I was wanting to anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one, uh, I've never seen such a lopsided fight. I mean, mm-hmm. the Department of Justice is trying to reinterpret the Federal Wire Act of 1961. Um, we're both turning 59 this summer, by the way. Um, <laughs> you know, by twisting its language all into a pretzel and you know, the states, there's nearly 20 of them now, along with various gaming lobbyist groups. Uh, they just keep running up the score in these briefs. I mean, the language one works for them. The historical look back to 61 and discussion of the law in Congress weighs in their favor. Um, the fact that anti-gambling 
factions in Congress in the 1990s that repeatedly sought to pass laws that would get us to a point where now DOJ claims we're already there. So that's another feather in the state's cap. Um, there's even an on-point precedent in this very appeals district, which is kind of why New Hampshire took the ball here for all the states. I mean, that's non-binding, but it still doesn't hurt. I mean, it just seems to me all parties, yeah, it seems to be a, a, an Adelson-led effort by DOJ and, you know, doing him a favor for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, whether the case gets appealed to the Supreme Court once DOJ gets trounced in the First Circuit, I think depends on who's president at the time uh, that decision uh, would need to be made. So because uh, it could go into next year. I don't see why the court would take this case anyway, says this uh, school of legal hard knocks layman. <laughs> OK, um, I mean, there's been a bit of a sense all along among most of us in the gaming industry that okay, this is an inconvenience, you know, it, it's slowing things down. It certainly slowed Pennsylvania down a little in getting launched and online poker shared liquidity has been put on the back burner. Uh, but in the end, sure feels like the DOJ is going to lose this fight. Uh, on the whole, the industry has generally seemed not nervous about this. Um, but, you know, it never hurts to see all these lotteries and attorneys banding together and, um, Pennsylvania putting that billion dollar figure on it, uh, a billion dollars in benefits to older citizens, even if the whole billion doesn't go to them, they're sort of planting that idea in people's minds. Uh, I think that, that's strong messaging there. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how you're a Third Circuit uh, Court judge or First Circuit Court judge in this case. And you're reading this and going, yeah, whatever. I, I'm interested in this you know, definition of is is thing they got about the language <laughs> of the, the 58 year old act. I mean, uh, right. I, I just don't see it. Right. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. As our listeners may know, March is National Problem Gambling Awareness Month. And while any time is a good time to talk about this important subject, now is an especially good and appropriate time to do so. So joining us now on the podcast is the Legislative Director for the National Council on Problem Gambling, Brianne Dora Shawal. Brianne has been jetting about the country this week talking on this subject. She was at an event in New Jersey early in the week where she saw John. Then it was off to Topeka, Kansas. So, Brianne, we appreciate you making time for us during a busy week. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. Uh, so I want to start with a, a topical subject. Last week on the podcast, John and I delved into the story of Benjamin Parlay Pats, a 23-year-old sports better who's been criminally charged with sending threatening messages to athletes after he lost bets on their games. What was your reaction when that news broke? And in your experience, is someone like Pats an extreme outlier for a problem gambler, or is this sort of behavior somewhat common? You know, we were incredibly saddened and shocked to hear about this. I do want to make it a point, though, that threatening an athlete or someone is not necessarily indicative of someone who has a gambling problem. Some of his behavior was incredibly risky when it came to the way he was betting. He was making incredibly large wagers on very tough parlays. He was bragging about his success. That would maybe indicate to us that there may be a problem. However, I don't want it to be put out there, though, that if someone is threatening individuals, that that is an indicator they have a problem. And I'm not in that position to make that assertion today that he is struggling. 
I do think, though, that this really does bring to light our concerns around sports betting, that Americans do have this dear love for their sports. And when you introduce money and risk and stakes into that, that might embolden and, and strengthen those emotions for good and for bad. So this really is a continuing call for the need for education and awareness around healthy behaviors in the way that you approach gambling and, of course, in the context of sports betting. Right. Interesting. So because I I hadn't even paused last week to before labeling him a problem gambler. I hadn't really thought it through. But so really, you know, he obviously has issues of some sort going on, but we shouldn't sure. assume problem gambling is necessarily one of them. Okay. Absolutely. Although I would hope that if this is a consideration or he has concerns that he does work with a professional to be screened and maybe treated. But I just don't think that it's appropriate for any of us to declare um, that he does have a problem um, other than he shouldn't be threatening individuals. Right. Yeah. Brian, uh, you know, most states have had legal gambling, obviously, for decades, casinos and lotteries in particular. And yet about 15 or 16 states now have added sports betting legalization in the last two years. Um, I'm wondering if you can give any kind of grade of these uh, legislatures. How have they done in terms of funding problem gambling? Are they mostly good or mostly poor or in the middle? Or Oh, they're all over the map. I wish there was some consistency, right? I can tell you this, that there used to be 10 states that didn't have any public funds for problem gambling. And three of those states and jurisdictions remedied that through sports betting expansion. So for instance, New Hampshire uh, put $200,000 and created a responsible gambling council through their legalization of sports wagering. Washington, DC, $200,000 again. Um, and Virginia, bill is to be signed by the governor, we'll see two and a half percent allocated for problem gambling. So we have seen states finally recognize where they've neglected to address problem gambling and make up for that through sports betting. But there are many who move forward and they continue to not have any public assistance uh, or support for problem gambling, uh, Montana for example. Um, so some have gotten it right, some not so much. That being said, with New Hampshire and DC, is 200,000 enough? Probably not, but it's a start. And I will absolutely give accolades where they're due. And I'm happy to see it moving in the right direction in many of these cases. Okay, well, uh, John referenced the sports betting expansion. The other major form of expansion is legal online gambling. I'm curious whether the NCPG has observed noticeable differences in problem gambling online versus in a casino. Are there different patterns and vulnerabilities? Sure. We just actually published our lit review, and we did actually find that online gamblers were more predisposed to having a gambling problem. Hmm. Um, so we do know that online comes with some increased risks, but it also comes with some increased opportunities for responsible gambling. Often I'm talking about um, the opportunity for self-exclusion, the very way you're playing online. There's opportunities for deposit and time limits. There's so many wonderful tools that we can actually access online that aren't afforded to us through brick and mortar institutions or, you know, through a lottery scratch ticket. So um, we see uh, online, yes, 
for what it is coming with increased risk, but also with increased opportunity. And unfortunately, I don't think many operators right now are embracing that here in the U.S. So um, I think there's much more work to be done, a lot more education around the opportunities, but um, one day at a time. Right. Yeah, I, I've particularly noticed uh, the the one the company that seems to be doing the most toward this uh, is the Poker Stars and their and their sites. Just in terms of the way that they've allowed people to self exclude by vertical, that you know I can play poker while excluding myself from online casino, that sort of thing. Uh, is, is that something that you wish more sites would do? Allow people to play certain games but self exclude from others. You know, I think that our self-exclusion program right now is incredibly fractured. It's one that I'm very concerned about. Take Pennsylvania, for instance. We have four different types of self-exclusion lists. The burden is really put on the individual who needs that tool, um, and I just think that that's a bad way to approach it. We do like people to be uh, empowered to make decisions about what they can and cannot do. Um, I think that everything comes with a little caveat, though. Yes, it's great that they're allowing them to self-exclude from some and not others, but is that what's really best for someone? And are they making sure to help them get all the right information to make that decision? That's where um, the crux is for me. Do, okay. do players really have all the necessary information where – is one really okay and one is not? Um, so I think it's just helping people become informed in their decision-making and then having the tool to execute that. Gotcha. All right. Yeah, now, Brianne, there's, uh, you know, I talked about 15 or 16 states have just legalized sports betting in the last two years, but there's another 15 or 16 states or 20 maybe who are looking at it closely. So if, if we're kind of talking, to a legislator right now or his aide as you do so often traveling around um you know what what states have like the best specific programs where if, if an open-minded legislator wanted to say you know how can i how can i be the best in the country what would i do you know would it be take this from this state and this from that state you know kind of your dream scenario i guess ah yes i get this question a lot and man oh man do i wish i could just copy and paste from one state and have everyone's answers um so here's the thing we need to talk about dedicating funding, protected funds for problem gambling. That needs to come in the form of research, prevention, treatment, and recovery initiatives. Massachusetts, although doesn't have sports betting at this time, did a really stellar job in their statute to make sure that all of those provisions were accounted for. So when I talk to states and say, yes, I understand it's not in the context of sports betting, but it is in the context of gambling, let's look at Massachusetts. Um, we also need to be thinking about conducting research prior to expansion and at intervals thereafter. Um, again, New Jersey um, and Massachusetts have done this, so I'd like to see that incorporated into legislation. Consistent minimum age. Um, we're all over the map, right? Who is in charge of sports betting? If it's the lottery, does that mean it's likely going to be 18? If it's casinos, 21? We really do advocate that we need to be consistent within a state. I really haven't seen one state get it completely right. Um, but again, it's about continued education and talking through these things. And then I always say, really, it's important about having adaptive regulations. If we go and garner all this research and we make all these sizable investments, if we're not able to adapt to our findings, 
then it was all moot. So we need to make sure we also have good sound policy that can adapt to the information that we got. Okay. You know, I tease tiny Delaware sometimes on the podcast. So to be fair, I want to uh, give them a possible shout out here. I think there's some stuff that they do pretty well. Do you want to give them a mention here? Yeah. So actually, um, I was just in Delaware on Friday and I was pleased to let them know that as of 2016, per capita spending is actually the highest for problem gambling in the nation in Delaware at $1.46. We didn't necessarily see an increase um, with their sports wagering, um, but they are really at the forefront of a lot of problem gambling programs. So um, no, we love to give Delaware a lot of credit. I'm not in the habit of picking on them. Um, we love to see states even come close to what Delaware's investment is. All right, well, following on what John just asked about programs in various states, before we let you go, can you share with our listeners the essential avenues for help for anyone in need, like phone numbers to call, websites to go to? Thank you. Yeah, so we run a 24-7, 100% confidential helpline. You can reach us anytime, day or night at 1-800-522-4700. We also have the ability to text and chat us or find us online. We have some screening tools, some resources about where to get help. And our website is www.ncpgambling.org. Fantastic. Well, this has been tremendously informative. Thanks so much, Brianne, for joining us on the podcast and for the work the NCPG is doing. Thank you so much for having me. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. There was a time during the fall when I was on my NFL Thursday night football player prop streak and John hit a rough patch with college football and I was carrying the team. Well, the roles have completely reversed. We've officially reached a point where I can say I'm riding John's coattails and he's keeping our heads above water and he's doing it with the help of a single sports streak, a little like my NFL player prop run uh, by picking Sung J M to finish in the top 20 last weekend at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. John made it five weeks in a row with winning bets on golfers to finish in the top 10 or 20. Pretty darn good streak. Uh, and the latest victory earned us $100 as Im finished in third place. Uh, John also scored a win with the Seattle Dragons, plus 12.5 points against our Houston Roughnecks. Uh, We booked a $100 profit there, but I lost us $110 with my overplay in the Clippers-Rockets game. Uh, So that would be a collective $90 win for the week, except we did have a futures bet come in as John's Trailblazers over 46 and a half wins is officially a loser. So how's that going to work, Eric? I got to think about it. So if they had just extended for another couple of games... Well, it's possible that we, uh, yeah, that that, that uh, the, our money would have gotten returned if the NBA season never finished. But because they did hit the the yeah. the under, it doesn't it doesn't matter. But yeah, for every other one that's up in the air, I know that uh, FanDuel, DraftKings, other sports books have sort of said. First of all, some of them have stopped taking futures bets, but they've all also said we'll wait to determine what to do with all of your futures bets. So. Yes, yeah, so I think there's probably only five or six NBA teams where um, you already lost even before this. Uh, uh, league was suspended and right. i managed to find that one of those teams that's <laughs> yeah well, good job there yeah uh and you know there are actually a couple that have already clinched the win as well 
but we didn't have any of those. Uh, but so that means counting that Blazers bet, uh, we lost $20 this week. So we're now up $149 and we have $1,140 on hold in futures bets, leaving us with $9,009 available to bet this week. I, however, will not be placing any bets this week. Uh, This ties into what we were just talking about, uh, that the night before we recorded this, the NBA suspended all play, maybe for a week or two, maybe for months, maybe for the whole season. I know Mark Cuban recently said, uh, as of this morning, Thursday morning, that he thinks it'll just be delayed and he could see the season stretching into August. We just don't know. Um, As of this moment, NCAA basketball games are expected to proceed in empty arenas, but that could change. Uh, XFL, NHL, we just don't know what games will be played over the next week. So I'm personally pressing pause, hopefully just for one episode, while I wait to get a better sense of what games are and aren't happening. But John, I know you have at least one bet you want to get in, right? Oh, let's make it two. I'm I'm Irish stubborn, so... uh... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I don't know that Florida has been affected at all by this yet. Oh, obviously, they have should have the same concerns as every state. Um, and the golf teed off as usual this morning. The uh, Players' Championship is kind of the fifth major. Uh, it's the deepest field of the year, even better than any of the majors have. So it's an incredibly big-time tournament in a lot of levels. And maybe that's not supposed to matter as to whether they get 72 holes in, but it might might matter. So uh, now I didn't plan to go back to one of my winning wells this week of the last five weeks. By the way, I, so all my top 20s finish in the top 10 and my top 10 finish in the top five. So I kind of <laughs> left a little money on the table there. And one of them won, of course. Right. And that winner was Adam Scott. Um, and I'm back to him this week. Uh, I'm surprised he's 100 to win, 188, just to finish in the top 20 again at the Players' Championship. Um, and after he won on my last go around, as I mentioned. Uh, so I will also toss in 10 for him to win 280. And I'm going to go for a second one, uh, just in case this game is played. Um, Overcorrection on the Roughnecks, I think, who I I won, you know, shorting last week. Uh, So 110 to win 100 on, covering just a six and a half point spread at the Meadowlands Guardians. I'm sorry, the New York Guardians, um, if they play this game. Uh, Guardians are not a legit three and two team with their offense. And, you know, they're I I expect them to get blown out by uh, by the Roughnecks if they play. Okay. Uh, and for the record, I, I'm, I'm not abstaining just to, because I'm on a losing streak, but you know, it uh, might be a good way to reverse a losing streak is to take a week off. So there you go. I think they call that responsible gambling. <laughs> there you go. Nice way to tie it all back in. Uh, so that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Brianne Dora Shawal. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And with that, John, please take us out. Yeah, well, I got an early phone call on Wednesday uh, the, off the news of the first New Jersey victim of the coronavirus and one of the first in, in that whole region. Um, it was a Yonkers Raceway uh, harness racing driver named John Brennan. Yeah, uh, he was 10 or 11 years older. I never met him. He's no relation. Uh, but I know quite a few people in the Meadowlands racetrack community in particular knew both of us. And uh, so while it was a little bit, you know, odd for me and even some people I know, um, it, it's not anything compared to that. So I just want to offer my sincere condolences to that Brennan family for their loss. And uh, it's a tough time. And, and it kind of, uh, yeah, it does bring it home a little bit. So for everyone out there, uh, number one, don't panic. And number two, be sensible. Uh, and with that, until next time, gamble on. Gamble on.